0: You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Morning, everyone. Uh, So good to be with you today. Uh, and Very exciting, actually. We are kicking off a brand new series this morning in the gospel of john called he is and so we're going to be reading from john chapter 6 verses 25 to 35 today um i want to kick off with a question i wonder if you've ever been called by the wrong name it's really annoying isn't it when someone gets your name wrong and depending on the situation you might opt to be kind of british and polite about it and not not point out, but there's sometimes where you just have to be like, look, you've got my name (laughs) wrong. We need to sort this out. I remember there was this guy who, for whatever reason, was convinced that my name was John. And so this went on for a little while and he'll be like, hi, John. Hi, John. And I thought he'll pick it up from other people. Other people are calling me Dave, but continually he called me John until eventually I was like, look, my name's actually Dave. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I must have corrected him like 10 times and he still would call me John. He'd still forget. Me and some of my friends and this guy went on a trip to the West Highland Way and over those few days, it was like finally the penny dropped, it sunk in, my name is Dave, he heard lots of people saying my name and at the end of that that trip, he just said, see you later, Dave, and it was just, it felt brilliant, I was like, oh, the world's put to right again, he knows my name is Dave. Two weeks later, later, I see him in town. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, John, great to see you. It's like, no, we're back at square one again. It was so, so frustrating. Or maybe you've had it the other way around where you have been the person who's mistaken someone for somebody else, for a completely different person. And I am really bad for this. I will launch into a conversation with someone. I think I recognize them. And I'm saying, how are you doing? Hey, how's your brother Tim doing? And they're like, You have mixed me up with someone completely different. And at that point, you've just got to try and backtrack. But there's no good way of getting out of the conversation. It's clear you've totally mixed them up. You know, when it comes to Jesus, we can actually do the same with him. We can so easily connect dots and fill in gaps that aren't there and come up with a picture of him that isn't really who he is. And the invitation from Jesus to those that he meets in scripture and to us today is to know him more as he really is. And so this series in John's gospel called He Is is all about that. It's about uncovering the truth of who Jesus is. And John's gospel has been written. One of the really key themes about it is trying to uncover who is Jesus. And so in this gospel, we're going to find Jesus making seven key I am statements about himself. And so today we're looking at John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, a bit of background to what we're going to read. Just earlier in chapter 6, Jesus has went into the wilderness and crowds of people are following him. They've seen the miracles, the healings that he's done. And so they're trying to get around him. There's about 5,000 men that are recorded there, which also means there's probably another 10,000 at least women and children. So a huge crowd of people, and Jesus is concerned that they haven't got food. And so he takes uh, fish and loaves that are given by a, a small boy who was there, just a few little scraps, a boy's lunch. And he distributes it to every person there. Everyone has more than their fair share. And there's loads of food left over at the end. Twelve basket loads of food is gathered up at the end by the disciples. So it's this incredible miracle. And we're picking up the story the next day when these same people find him. And essentially, they're looking for more free food. So let's read from chapter 6 of John, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen. So what we see here, the people have a real misunderstanding of what Jesus is about. They're looking at him as a free meal ticket. And in response to this, Jesus gives the crowd and us this incredible truth about who he really is. I am the bread of life. And so we're going to focus on two things that we can take away from that truth about Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I think firstly, he's saying, only I can satisfy you. Now, you might might disagree with me on this, but I think four of the best words in the English language are all you can eat. I don't know if anyone's with me. I don't know if you're cheering at home about that, but if you have been around Aberdeen or most places, to be honest, for a while, you've probably come across one of these all you can eat restaurants. There's Cosmo in Union Square. Man, I remember the first time I went there. It was incredible. Every, every culture under the sun is represented there. The dishes there are absolutely amazing. And I remember going there thinking, this is the best place in the world. Literally culinary delights wherever you turn crispy aromatic duck, yin yang chicken, pancakes, roast beef, stir fried noodles, lamb rogan josh, naan bread, prawn crackers, wonton sesame seed prawn toast, duck and black bean sauce, grilled salmon, sushi, barbecued pork, spare ribs, chicken tikka, pilai rice, spring rolls, lemon and strawberry cheesecake, mango and passion fruit cheesecake, red velvet cheesecake, chocolate fountain with marshmallows, fruit salad and refillable iron brew. When I went to Cosmo, I ate. Let me tell you, I did not mess about. I ate a lot. I ate literally all I could eat. And it's a set price. Money's no barrier. I wasn't there on a first date, so I didn't really care how I came across. There was no airs and graces. I went to town. One plate turned into two plates, turned into three plates. And I came out of there ridiculously full. Like I could barely move. There was way more food that was necessary. And I was full of foods that, to be honest, although it was tasty, was pretty terrible for me. There was a lot of fat, salt and sugar going on. I'd eaten way too much and way too much of the foods that I didn't need. As a result, I felt sick as I was waddling home. What started as a great idea actually turned into a lot of regret. You know, often we can pursue what we want at the expense of what we really need. And here we see the crowds of people They're equating Jesus to a free meal ticket, literally an all-you-can-eat pass. All the questions they ask of him are about food, about what physically they can get from him. And they've seen him miraculously provide, like, food the day before. And they start to think, could this be the Messiah? And so they question that. Verse 30 that we read, the people say, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna. And this refers back to in Exodus when God rescued his people from slavery for 40 years, 40 years in the desert. Every day, God would provide bread. He would provide manna, this wafer heaven bread that would just come in the morning and cover the ground and the people would gather what they needed. Every day for 40 years, God sustained his people and there was this belief that this, this manna, this storehouse heavenly bread would be opened again when the Messiah came. And the heavenly bread, unlimited food would be poured out on the people. And so the people have seen this clear sign from Jesus where he multiplies bread and fish the day before. He is the one they've been waiting for. But rather than choose to follow Jesus, rather than choosing to put their trust in him, they they start to kind of fold their arms a little bit and say, okay, well, what are you going to do for us? Will you continue to provide us bread? You see, they've misunderstood and misrepresented who he is. They're seeing Jesus as a means to an end. But Jesus says to them, you don't get it. That's not what I'm here to do. You know, God hasn't sent me just to be this bread provider. He doesn't want to love you from a distance and send kind of heavenly care packages your way, just, you know, with love from your heavenly father, I hope you're okay, you know, just go and enjoy that from a distance. Actually, in this moment, God has become flesh and blood. He has come close to you. Why would you settle for physical bread, for just that, when I am the bread of life, given I've come not to satisfy your stomach, but your soul, the core of who you are. And it's so easy for us to, to, to read this account in the Bible and kind of sit in judgment of these people and be like, oh, just so foolish. Can't they see? Can't they see what Jesus is offering? And they just want bread. Like, what are these guys doing? They're really missing out. But for someone living in the first century in this area, food is a big concern it's not a little thing you know for some of these people tomorrow's meal may not have been guaranteed and they're like jesus i've got a family to provide for my kids need to eat i need to eat and for jesus to be able to make food multiply out of out of so little that's interesting and that's worth asking some questions about there would have been legitimate worries and struggles that these people were carrying and jesus being able to just supply unlimited bread like that's a good thing right so yeah jesus see you're you're offering something else you're talking about something else but right now i've got problems i just need the bread can you give me the bread that's where they're coming from you know jesus cares about that he cares about our intimate our immediate sorry needs He fed all those people the day before. You know, he gave them what they needed. The things that concern us concern him as well. It's not that he doesn't care about that. But I think what Jesus wants to say to these people and what he wants to say to us is that is not my primary purpose. That is not why I am here primarily, just to meet those everyday needs. Because there is a deeper, more profound need that I've come to satisfy. And only I can do it. Only I can do it. And they've missed that. They've missed that He can provide the deepest needs of their hearts—you know, purpose, security, identity, freedom—but instead, they chase Him to satisfy their wants. They want the benefits of Jesus, but not the relationship. And I just think, Lord, is—is is that something I've done in my life, where I've—I've I've seen your your benefits and I've. I've seen my immediate need and I've just kind of treated you as a, a means to an end. And I've let the relationship side kind of slide a little bit. Have I reduced you to something less than who you really are? I wonder if you'll join me for a minute back in Cosmo. I want you to imagine a group of people walking in and the chef comes out, right? And says, hey, I've got a special table prepared for you guys, it's the the VIP section, I don't know if that exists in Cosmo, but you know, just go with me here, the VIP section of Cosmo, beautifully laid out, everyone sits down and the chef gives each person a plate and he says, what I want you to do is just sit tight, just wait here because I'm preparing something really special in this kitchen. Now, don't walk around, don't go and fill up your plate, don't go and eat anything else. Just, just wait, keep your plate empty, just stay sat down. I'm going to come back soon with something really, really special. And so people are sitting down, but Man, the people at this table—they're in Cosmo. They can see people milling about and eating food, and you know the smell of foods in the air, and they're all hungry. And it's like, Oof. after a while, some people are just like, "I'm just going to stretch my legs and have a little look around, and not not going to eat anything." And they go wandering around, and they just like, "Oh, just have a quick spring roll, or have a you know a quick naan bread, or whatever it is." But pretty soon, they're piling their plates full of food, and they're gorging themselves on all of this food. Other people, they're choosing to be hungry, but they're choosing to wait and sit down. All of a sudden, the kitchen doors burst open, and this aroma fills the room that is incredible. And the chef appears carrying trays and trays of food. He scans the room, and he sees those that have filled their plates with food. They're looking full. In fact, they're looking a bit ill. And this food that he has brought is incredible. It's like nothing else they've ever seen before, but they can't manage another mouthful. The chef goes over to the people with empty plates and serves them food. Not only does it look incredible, it smells incredible. You know, it makes all the other food that they've been eating, that's been in the restaurant, look gray and greasy and, you know, not nice. The texture is mouthwatering. The taste is mind-blowing. The hunger that they had before is gone, and they feel completely satisfied. It was so worth the wait. Are we hungry for the right thing? We all have a hunger in us. But the question is, are we going to bring that hunger to Jesus? Or are we actually going to attempt to satisfy it ourselves? Are we willing to trust in him, to wait on him, rather than racing to fill our plates with other things, things that ultimately aren't going to satisfy us? See, our, our needs for, for purpose and identity, security, freedom, Jesus says, I've come to meet those but only I can do it. Don't go looking for it anywhere else. Don't go looking for it. You're not going to find it in entertainment. You're not going to find it in the newest box set. You're not going to find it in relationships. You're not going to find it in your marriage or or, or family even. You're not going to find it in approval from other people, from addiction. You know, we can make an idol of so many things. Many of them might be good things on the surface, but Jesus says, do not build your life around these things. Do not make that the source of life. Because whatever you're looking for life in, that is what you're feasting on. That is your food and your drink. That's what you're looking for to sustain yourself. And we've got to ask ourselves, what is that? what does that look like for me? Is that wrapped up in, in addictive habits? Is it wrapped up in approval from other people, I don't know. But it's like, no matter what that thing is, the high doesn't last. The compliments that we crave from other people, they they fade so quickly. If it's anything other than Jesus, it's not gonna satisfy. He says, bring your hunger to me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, the great thing about this is it's not a one-time thing. It's not like, oh, we come to Jesus and then we never hunger or thirst for anything again. But actually, it's a daily reality that we're going to have hunger, we're going to have need. But what Jesus' words mean and what he's trying to point us towards is that now we know where to bring our hunger. Now we know where to bring our thirst We know the source of life and goodness. We have access to this unlimited heavenly storehouse of bread where he can supply every need that we have, where there is more than enough grace, love, peace, acceptance, security than we would ever need. It's available to us. I am the bread of life. I love the lyrics of this song uh, breathe on me now by catherine scott from 2003 20 year old banger i'm still loving it but one of the lyrics is this i'm desperate lord for more of you come satisfy until i am even more in need of you come satisfy until i'm even more in need of you you know jesus satisfies the deep need at the core of who we are fully and continually we're continually fulfilled by him it's an ongoing thing until it sinks into our hearts and our minds that nothing compares to the way that he meets us when he meets our need it's like nothing else maybe this morning there's just an invitation from jesus to be like hey what what is on your plate is your plate empty are you coming to me hungry are you coming to me ready to receive Or have you actually filled up your plate with other stuff that isn't going to satisfy? Where have I looked for my security, my hope, my freedom, my identity? If the answer isn't Jesus, then maybe we just need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've made other things the focus. I'm sorry that I've looked elsewhere to be satisfied. God, I ask that you would do that now in me. So we see Jesus is the bread of life. He's the only one that can satisfy our souls. And finally, Jesus is the only one who can save us. I wonder if there's any uh, film fans watching. I saw a post online that I really enjoyed. It was the top Hollywood film cliches. And I'm sure you would have spotted some of these in films before. They're great. So the first one, a courtroom drama. You know, It feels like the, the case is going one way, but then all of a sudden the surprise witness bursts through the door, bang, objection, and it's like, whoa, everything changes, the surprise witness, I don't think that ever happens in real life, but it's great in a film, or maybe you've got uh, something big has happened, maybe it's it's Armageddon, or it's like a, a world war is breaking out, someone comes in and shouts, quick, turn on the TV, and someone grabs a remote and presses one button, and it goes exactly to the right channel, to the newscaster, and they, at that moment, they start the sentence that explains everything that's going on, it's like, that would never happen in real life, you just that is not a thing Uh, or rom-coms you have the kind of maybe the the bookish uh, unpopular uh, character wearing glasses and then in the moment when they take their glasses off they become immediately attractive to everyone in the room they're like the most desirable person ever or I like this one someone's being chased and uh, they, they need to get into a car and so they just run to the first car they see It's unlocked and then they start going, keys, 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 keys. And then they just reach in the top of the sun visor. Oh, here, here's the spare keys. Because obviously in life, we all just leave our cars unlocked and leave our keys right there in the car. Uh, it's great. It's great. But the one that annoys me most, the one I'm coming to, is, is this scene, right? I want you to picture it. You've got a bus or a car or something like that. And it's, it's, it's there's, been, there's been an accident and it veers off the road. And then it's, it's balanced precariously on a cliff like this, right? It's just like swaying side to side. And then there's loads of people on the bus and they're like, Quick, everyone out everyone runs and then all of a sudden the you know, the the main character that the hero in the story goes hey where's timmy and like it cuts to timmy alone at the back of the bus trembling holding on for dear life and it's like everyone's out except for timmy he's like timmy get out of there and timmy's just too scared he can't move and so our hero has to go back in and slowly make his way towards the back of the bus as he's moving it's tilting and it's tipping and he's like timmy grab my hand and timmy's like no just like holding on you're like flipping out timmy come on like play the game this guy's trying to help you and timmy will probably like double down down, he'll hold on to like another rail or something like that, which will then snap, and then he'll fall further down. It's just like, oh, Timmy, come on, can you not see this hand? This guy is trying to rescue you. Grab his hand, Timmy. You want to shout at the screen. And as cliche as that is, as much as that is just like a, a stupid trope that we see in films sometimes, there's something in that picture I think, of the p- position that we're in before accepting Jesus' rescue gripping tight onto the rail of our lives where where we are in control we feel like we've got a place of strength but refusing that rescuing hand, that and by doing so we're actually on severely dangerous and shaky ground our eternal life with him is not secured before we take that hand we need to let go and trust in him to be saved and what Jesus is making so clear in this statement of, I am the bread of life, is he's saying, I am God. You know, I am the bread of life. That's a really deliberate statement that the people listening to Jesus wouldn't have missed. They would have realized instantly what he's saying. I am, that's the name God gave himself to Moses. He's, God says, tell the people I am has sent you. That's, how, that's what he calls himself. And Jesus doesn't just kind of like sneak this in. He repeats it four times. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the living bread. I am the bread of life. Like he really wants them to get this. Later in verse 53, Jesus expands on this. Listen to this. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. That sounds gruesome, right? That sounds like, why are you talking about Jesus? But actually the invitation from him is that Jesus is saying, for me to save you, for you to have eternal life, you have to eat the bread. You have to drink the blood meaning you have to believe you have to fully put your trust in me you need to be all in the word eat that's used in the greek refers to a one-time event so we've spoken about how jesus is the bread of life and there's an ongoing satisfaction that we all need and that we get from him that that hunger is filled in him that's ongoing but at the same time the eating of the bread is talking about the moment of salvation of recognizing our need to be rescued deciding And believing and receiving eternal life from him. So what does accepting Jesus offer? Eating this bread cost us. In one sense, nothing. It's a completely free gift. We only need to believe. We don't have to work at it. We don't have to earn it. It's a free gift given to us. And in another sense, it costs us everything. We have to lay down our lives. We have to be willing to to follow his lead, to go where he tells us to go, to say what he tells us to say. We have to make him Lord of our lives. We don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for him. And there is a cost to that. There's a cost to putting him and his kingdom first in our lives. But I heard someone explain it to me like this. Um, I, I checked last night who's the richest person in the world right now. Currently, it's Elon Musk, guy who owns Tesla and Twitter, I think, of uh, for the last few days. So really rich guy. I don't know how much he's, he's worth, but a lot. Imagine he comes up to you and says, uh, I'm going to give you everything in my bank account. It's all yours, but there's one condition. And you're like, okay, go on then. What kind of what deal am I doing here? He says, there's one condition. You have to give me everything in your bank account. I'll be like... Elon, where do I sign? <laughs> like, I don't think you've thought this through because there, there's not that much in my bank account. I don't know what you deal you think you're getting here. Why would he trade all he has for all that I have? Does he not know how little I have to offer? See, when we take Jesus up on his offer, we get immeasurably more in return. for the the little that our lives amount to, for the meager sum that that is. But let let that sink in for a minute. The sum total of our lives, all, all that adds up to is not much, but that is the most precious thing in the world to Jesus, the most precious thing in all creation. He died for it. He died for me and for you. Tim Keller, pastor and author in the States, he says this. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he says, I am God made breakable for you. And as we eat the bread of life, as we drink his blood, we see the reality of what he gave to save us. Whenever I take communion and I eat the bread and I chew it, I'm aware that I'm the one who's doing the chewing in that moment. It's my sin that his body's broken for. He was bruised for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. It's my sin that his blood was poured out for. We're called to drink in, to eat the reality of that sacrifice. Because by his death and his resurrection, we find new life. We're transformed. By his stripes, we're healed. And in time, we we might be tempted to make it about works, about I'm trying really hard God I'm you know I'm I'm doing all the right things I'm praying I'm reading my Bible I'm telling others about you are you seeing me are you noticing this and trying to earn his approval and Jesus just wants us to come back to just the truth the simple truth that you have to eat you have to eat you have to choose to eat only through him can we be saved and we all need to be saved have I said yes to that? And there may be some of you watching today that that you you haven't said yes to that. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've not chose to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're not sure if you have. And we want to make an opportunity for you to do that later on if you want to. And let me just say, if you do choose to do that, it will be the best decision you ever made. It will cost you everything, but you will gain so much more. And for those of us who have said yes to him, The magnitude of his death and resurrection is something we have to return to time and time again, to the bread of life. It defines the terms of our relationship with you. We are the sinners that he has saved and he's called to be saints. We're in deep need of him. So Jesus, we want to say today, Lord, you are the bread of life. We recognize that God, our satisfaction, that the hunger that we have in us, our need can only be met in you. And when we haven't done that, when we haven't looked to you, we want to say, sorry, God. And Jesus, we recognize as well that we can only be saved because of you. We can only know eternal life because of the sacrifice that you made. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just show us that truth you are the bread of life and lord willingly we accept your invitation invitation when you say come and eat come and drink thank you lord amen